0: Are you ready for a fun and fantastic journey with the new Data Aware by Ascend podcast? We are, and to get this new series kicked off right, I, your host, Leslie Denson, am joined by Ascend's founder and CEO, Sean Knapp, to talk about the latest and greatest trends and best practices that all have to do with data engineering and the vast world that surrounds it. Join us for this, the very first episode of Data Aware a podcast about all things data engineering. Hey everybody, welcome to the inaugural episode of Data Aware with Ascend. My name is Leslie Denson and I am here with Ascend's founder and CEO, Sean Knapp.
1: Hey everybody.
0: To talk about all things data engineering in and around the space, we're going to have a really fun time on this podcast and in the episodes that we have coming up for you guys, talking with folks around the send, our customers, our partners, and just other people in the industry about what they're finding with trends with data engineering, some fun use cases that they have, some best practices, what's always fun with worst practices that you can learn from, and even more. So, We are really excited to get started with this today. It's been something that we've talked about internally for a while and are just stoked to get going so that we can chat with you guys more about data engineering and chat with you guys more about what you're seeing around that space. So super stoked. How about you, Sean?
1: I'm super, super stoked. Awesome.
0: Well, with that... Why don't we talk a little bit about exactly what we're going to be talking about through the life of the podcast, which is some of the recent trends and changes we're seeing with data engineering. There's a reason why you know we have a company. There's a reason why there is a massively growing industry around the idea of data engineering, because there is a lot of really cool stuff that's happening. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the more exciting things that you're seeing happen right now, Sean? Like what's got you super excited about this space?
1: Yeah, I think we see a couple of really interesting trends. And I think a, a lot of the roads are kind of pointing back to a, sort of a shared set of goals across right. different types of teams. You know, one of the things we see is from the earlier adopting uh, data engineering teams, the people who were the, you know, the early adopters of Spark and, you know, built a lot of their systems, even on the dots quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, of, of those technologies and have been you know, moving really fast uh, with a lot of the streaming technologies and so on as well. The trend that we're now seeing with a lot of these folks is they've met a lot of their goals and their needs around, you know, can you store and process and move it around fast enough sort of volumes of data, right? That right. The sort of volume and velocity goals and needs have been met. Right. And so now what they're actually trying to do, we see a lot of teams circling back is trying to alleviate their maintenance burden, trying to automate uh, and robustify a lot of their technologies. So we see that with a lot of the data engineering teams today. What we also see is a ton of these other teams, the the people who haven't been in the data engineering uh, game yet, but who who really depend on data engineering, the data scientists, the data analysts, the ML teams, et cetera, uh, all who sit downstream, right? Who get data feeds in essence from data engineering teams. Um, They have a really strong desire uh, to self-serve and to actually work their way further upstream, so to speak, or earlier on in that data lifecycle, cycle, uh, so that uh, they can offload from their data engineering teams and, and can actually move independently uh, as they build out their own products. And so, you know, we see this combination uh, of these two teams coming together, really investing heavily in, in democratizing and creating mm-hmm. this new wave of data engineering where uh, whether you like to operate deeper in the technology stack, uh, at lower levels and, and, and sort of deeper in languages and infrastructure or all the way up to the, the higher end of the stack and uh, self-serve and, and create some of your, you know, their, your downstream feeds. Uh, across the board, everybody's starting to line around this this notion of self-serve and democratization and, and that obviously has a lot of uh, requirements to go with it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So in, in past lives at, at places that I've been before and, and we've talked about this before, you know, I, we would go to Strata and we would talk to the same sort of audiences. It was, you know, it was a little bit before they were even, I mean, they were data engineers, but the term wasn't quite as around. And then the data scientist, and you would hear the data engineers just go, I've got so much on my plate. Like there are so much that's happening. I can't like it, I'm working 12 hour days to try and keep up with the pace of business. And then you talk to, to that point, the data analysts, the data scientists who are like, I can't, even begin to get access to the kind of data i need in the amount of time that i need it to get questions answered like you know it's that push pull that i feel like is kind of ages old has been around for a while but it's becoming even more and more pronounced as the cliche of data getting faster and data coming in more and they're just being you know growing exponentially amounts of data that's disparate and all over the place um when you add into the number of technologies that people are trying to use with it, it's just a problem that seems to be compounding itself over and over again.
1: I totally agree. I think the, you know, we focused for the longest time in the data engineering world around this notion of scale, right, and so we focused right. heavily on how do I scale to more bits and bytes and records and, and, and sort of the data equivalent of, you know, the old speeds and feeds. Yet the the, the scale challenge we have next is actually that of, of Dependency and complexities. Right? How do we build um, ten times more systems, ten times more products, hundred times more products with you know ten times as many people, and the the intricate dependency graph, if you will, of all of these people doing more things uh, is actually the next scale challenge, and that is why we see things like the the notion of data ops emerging, right? Which becomes a really fancy way of, of basically saying how do we get more people doing more things with data faster? Right? And safely same thing as we saw from devops uh, a number of years ago and that's really where i think some of the most exciting thing more some of the most exciting innovations and, and things are going to happen are in the in the progress forward of making it so that more people can accomplish more goals and we can build more complex systems that don't drag with it this linear or even exponential increase in complexity and maintenance burden and that's i think this new era that we get to look forward to hopefully in the the data world.
0: No, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's one of those things where when you look at it a little bit more cynically, everybody, you want to be able to push off some of that work onto the people who are actually doing it. And, And by push off, I mean, make it easier. So you want to make it easier and make it Accessible for the line of business users to be able to access and work with that data, which kind of goes into a topic that I also want to talk about today, which is the idea of the shift from your traditional ETL to this idea of ETLT, where there's a you know transformation happens maybe in more than one spot, so that the business users users can really interact with it and get what they need from it, while the data engineering team can focus on, I hate to call it the harder problem, because that's not necessarily what it is, but they can focus on other issues without having to worry about some of this.
1: Yeah, the I would describe it as oftentimes the, the more um, persnickety problems. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes, that is a good way to put it. The,
1: I think everybody's, you know frankly, the, this day and age, we're, we're all tackling hard problems. And a lot of it comes down to how do we get the right people with the right skill sets to, to tackle the, the appropriate problem? When we look at the evolution of, of sort of data engineering, right, we, we sort of have seen these, these sort of two camps start to emerge, right? The first camp was the, the sort of modern cloud data lake, data pipeline engineering cohort, right? It was the mm-hmm. next wave of ETL. You go and launch your, you know, your big data lake originally on HDFS and your Hadoop cluster, and then move it to cloud. Uh, And you use Hadoop and then Spark and so on to go and process large volumes of data. And the challenges, you know, five, 10 years ago were heavily around, I have to go tune that system, I have to deal with replication factors and synchronization of data, um, tweaking JVM and Spark executor parameters and all these other things, right? And these were persnickety problems. Mm -hmm. And as a result, that ETL world really stayed deep in sort of like the the lower level technology stack. Uh, in many ways, it's like watching people writing their own, like self-optimizing their code as opposed to using self-optimizing compilers, right? Because they, they didn't exist yet. So you had to go really deep in the tech stack.
0: And those right. are
1: hard problems. They required deep understanding of how the systems work. But what happened is, well, one, that's hard and it, it's slow. And there's not a lot of people who, who can go that deep in the tech stack. And so as a result, the business ends up having to still solve certain needs. So what we saw in response to this is the ELT world really emerging data warehouses, uh, whether it was, you know, BigQuery and then Redshift and then uh, Snowflake, and everybody really started to move towards their, their uh, ELT world, right? Replicate that data, get it into your, your warehouse and transform it on the way out, or even doing cascading transforms uh, on that warehouse. And that works for many use cases. But, uh, you know, one of the things I heard, I heard recently was that works fantastically when you have a, a pretty uh, homogeneous uh, ecosystem. Yeah. Everybody has standard data sets, they have standard data logic, they want to apply to it, but the world's also messy. And the messier the world gets, the more you need the ET versus the LT. Mm-hmm. And what we are really seeing is most companies and teams at some point can't get away from the fact that they need both. What they really actually want is they want teams to be able to self-serve on both, and they need this ET-LT notion. Or some things you're going to transform up front because they're highly repeatable, well-known, well-formed patterns. And then there's other things you want to transform on the way out uh, as it's ad hoc, it's interactive, and you don't know the repeatable pattern yet. But that hybrid model is something that we see everybody need today. And the business side has for very long periods of time been dependent on the IT engineering side to create those ETL pipelines for them. And frankly, what we see time and time again is the business really wants to be able to, you know, the, the data analysts, the data scientists, the, the the ML engineers, and so on, also want to create their own systems, uh, and they want to self-serve. And moreover, on the infrastructure IT engineering side, depending on, on your, your company's terminology, we're seeing increasingly, everybody wants them to do it the, the same thing, too, because nobody wants to be the bottleneck. Nobody right. wants to be, like, buried behind a, a queue of tickets. Most of these teams are already so underwater, they would love to actually enable people to self-serve so that they can actually start to to chip away at the next big wave of of technology challenges for their business.
0: It goes back to this. And and we, again, in past lives, we almost used to, we used to call it failing fast with your analytics, but then it, it really is more of the iteration process too that this enables, which is sometimes you don't know what you don't know, or you don't know how you need to interact with that data. You don't know what you need that data stream to look like. You don't know what the analytics needs to look like. And honestly, until you get, You know, you get it piped into your BI tool and you get some graph out of it. Sometimes you don't even know the answer that you're trying to get or the question you're trying to ask. And so being able to make it such that the business can iterate on those data pipelines and iterate on that analytics faster just helps everybody. You know, it's one of those things where, okay, so maybe you're using, you know, maybe your analytics team is building their pipelines in development, but it still has to go through data engineering for, you know, production pipelines, because that's something that we see a lot. Having the analytics team have the ability to self-serve and do that, and do that iteration faster, such that you only have to give the engineering team one thing to do, just makes everybody's life so much easier.
1: I totally agree. Um, and You touched on something, too, that uh, I'll pull on that thread a little bit, which is a really interesting one to pull on, too, is one of the patterns we've seen in the data ecosystem uh, that's very different than the, the software engineering ecosystem, and I know that there's tons of overlap, of course, is most data systems are still treated in, in how we build and execute projects, how we actually iterate or, or don't, uh, and even how we uh, deploy in, uh, our code. We tend to follow far more of the traditional software engineering practices when it comes to data pipelines and data infrastructure, Yeah, because data is big and it's heavy and it's weighty, it's hard to move around. Right. So what happens as a result then is we end up doing really kind of crazy things where like we end up with the equivalent of a monolithic binary, right? We end <laughs> up with like very waterfally development process as opposed to right. a much more agile process. One of the ways that we designed the Ascend product and really just because heck, this is how we were used to working as software engineers and what we missed when we moved to the data world that we wanted to get back was nobody was refactoring things. We didn't have like, you know, more modular systems, like how we are used to building into a microservice that sits on top of other microservices, so that we can have nice modularization of code and complexity. We were finding we couldn't get that, and so we started to do things where we said, well, we should actually be able to break things up into smaller components and let the system figure out how to optimize and what to persist and whatnot and how to move data through, but give us incremental building blocks. Where for us, you know, I may write a microservice even in a Sun stack, right? We have Everything from Node React Redux to Go-based microservices, to a bunch of Scala stuff, yet they all talk to each other over standard well-formed APIs and we can mix and match languages and complexities. We should be able to do stuff like that in in the data world while still actually popping up much higher up and thinking about these as micro pipelines in many ways and micro data sets gives us a lot of acceleration factor from an engineering perspective.
0: It does. And I don't think anybody would disagree with the fact that the way they think about data and the way they think about their analytics and the way that they're thinking about all of that as a whole has obviously shifted pretty significantly over the last you know five to 10 years. And I think, and even in the last two years, I think it's going to continue to shift even more. But what you're seeing is that everybody pops up with their preferred tool or their preferred programming language or their preferred, you know, insert some other thing here. Having technologies that can work across, you know, we talk about sort of flex code and being able to code in the way that you want to. We, you know, it's also important to us that people be able to interact with data from from different places and going to different places the same way across the board and make it really dead simple for folks to, to actually use it. I think, it's going to be incredibly important to not make everything the same, but to give people an easy way to interact with their data so they can actually solve the hard problems, like do all of this, interact with it the way they want to, do what their business needs to do with it, but not spend hours and hours and hours of time trying to get that done. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it totally does. And it it reminds me of, I was chatting with a a customer uh, a long time ago around to sort of like philosophies, right? As a, right. a provider of technology to others. Like how do we think about what gets you really excited to buy, what might gives you, you know, aversion and concern. And um yeah, this great commentary which is look, you may automate away 95% of what I have to deal with on a day, and I'm gonna love you for it. Because mm-hmm. God, that's awesome. But if you make the other five percent of what I have to do on a daily basis impossible, I still can't use you. Totally. Like the because the you just took ninety five percent to zero, but you took the other five percent to infinity, and as a result, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't balance out, right? And and right. so the this is why I do think there's a lot of value in this flex code model, which is the, well, gosh, like let's go figure out how to automate what we can and and to ease and alleviate. Um, the, the complexities and the pains, but always give layers of additional sort of peeling back of the onion where you can go deeper and deeper in where, yeah, you know, maybe you like to use the, the UI a bunch, but really like you, you need to be able to plug into a CI/CD system. So, okay, cool. Like, but here's all the APIs to do it. Or maybe you really like writing a lot of stuff in SQL, but 5% of what you do, you actually do need to go write some Python for, or you need a really 100%. custom jar that you want to go you know plug in there or even st- further still, you need custom libraries so you're going to go extend the docker container that runs on and that may only be half a yeah. percent of the time but if we can make that possible we free you up to go to go automate uh, or operate at the higher levels that give you more leverage and impact as a, a developer as an analyst as a scientist and so i think that's the if you do that god you create so much more more impact for folks and you won't trap them down at the the lower levels for 100 percent of their stuff just so they can get their job done which is like the, the potential to impact folks becomes so much higher as a result
0: for sure i mean i think everybody i say everybody loves sequel that's not a true statement most people love sequel sequel is i awesome. love sequel i <laughs> the running joke with me is the only sequel i know is like select star from airplanes because a company i work for we had our airplane <laughs> the, the only sequel i know uh, not true i know a little bit more than that but I, most people love SQL and, you know, you look at different companies and they've, they've built their entire business as they should have on bringing, you know, SQL into kind of the unstructured data world. But to that point, and, you know, something that you said, as great as SQL is right now, it doesn't solve everything. Sometimes you just have to get in there and, you, you know, or sometimes you just want to get in there. And, you, you know, the thing that I love about folks in the data sphere is that they're always trying to push something forward. And they're trying to to do more with what they've got. And some of that is trying out things in another language or trying to do something that maybe SQL just doesn't give you the option to do. And to, to your point, it's probably the right thing for 95% of the use cases. But sometimes you just need that little bit more flexibility and the ability to dig in. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to lose the ability to do that with the idea of ease of use, because exactly Mm -hmm. what you just said, if it's easy to use 95% of the time, but impossible 5% of the time, you've ruined any ease of use argument that you have, you just ruined, it's just not there. And when you're trying to bring together, you know, between data engineers, data scientists, data analysts, or, you know, other people who are trying to use data, um, when you're looking at the developer world, different things, there has to be some sort of options and flexibility there because people have their preferred language or they have their preferred thing or their, to your point, the preferred library. And so it's interesting to me to see kind of what's out there right now. But then on the flip side, you have a lot of places that have just said no to SQL all in and you just can't use it at all. And that's that's obviously not going to work long term. Yeah.
1: And I feel like that's why there, there's so much value in, in really focusing on, especially in data world, is saying like the, the core entity to focus on is data and data sets. Right, Mm -hmm. and layering different access models around it, whether you want to talk SQL or Python, whether you want to tap into it via a JDBC or an S3 or an API interface, um, whether you want to query it or you want it to to be a a persistent materialized data set through a pipeline, making it so that you can hybridize these because there are so many different tool sets because we're involving so many different um, skills to work with our data uh, that, Trying to anchor on a technology decision or a tool decision only leaves out a significant percentage of the people that, that you would benefit from having contribute to your data strategy. Whereas if we can focus on the data first, the actual like notion of the data itself, and then layer on the access layers and the the, the access models and, the, and the, the development models on top of that. It gives us a whole different level of flexibility that allows us to actually take advantage of a pretty diverse set of skills across the teams.
0: It's interesting. As we're talking about this, I go back to a conversation that we've had you know, a little bit internally, which is, is the office of the CDO a cost center or a profit center? And I've been, since we've talked about that a little bit. And, you know, I've been sort of parsing that out in my head and in different ways to think about it. And I think one of the things that you're hitting on, which is where I, I sort of netted out with this in, in my own brain, is we, we have been really focused on the technologies. And I think, you know, the CDOs and the offices of the CDOs and therefore the, the teams that they have in their board have been really focused on the technologies. And they've been really focused on how do I build the coolest new, you know, tech stack? but we have to start moving towards it being more of a profit center where it is driving the business decisions. I mean, there are a ton of companies out there that are only around because of fast access to data. Nobody would disagree with the fact that it makes so many companies more competitive if they can access use do different things with their data in a better way. And so the idea of that makes them more of a profit center than cost center, but that does mean that they have to think about the data stack in a more strategic way? You know, we're, we're in a good spot of starting to get there and starting to think that way. What would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I think the, um, the a lot of this is following that, that natural trajectory uh, totally. of, like there's this whole new wave of potential, right? It was, as we start mm-hmm. to tap into data and the technology allows us to, to, to marshal it at, at, at remarkable scale. And so you start like super deep in the tech stack um and a lot of these investments are cost centers up front because they're big long-term investments for teams for and for sure. companies uh and the, the problems to solve uh, are deep in that technology stack and we see this time and time again and, and, and this is a very good natural pattern to see emerge which is over time the problems that become the most important ones to solve climb up stack right and, and so they they get out of the how do i run a distributed system or um how do I uh, tune the JVM and tune my Spark jobs, et cetera? As more and more companies enter into that, the patterns emerge, and technology companies will even help actually solve that and, and uh, elevate everybody to higher uh, levels in technology staff. And so, in doing so, we start to get into broader democratization and enabling of yeah. more people, and that's where we can actually start to get closer to really enabling the business. Uh, and so, that's why I think the you know, is the CDO a cost center or, or a profit center? And frankly, I think you know one of the best strategic and career moves a CDO can make is to get the organization, the company, the teams higher and higher up stack because you're enabling more people to drive more impact faster for the business, and that's what allows you to actually. Be far more strategic and um, to really impact the overall outcome for the business.
0: And, and to your point, doing that means enabling more people within the business to be able to just get their hands dirty with the yeah. data and play yeah. with it, you know, and not being bottlenecked on, you know, teams that are overtasked with a zillion different things that they've got to get done. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm I've seen on more than one occasion organizations that have also figured that out and have, whether they're termed a data engineer or not, some sort of data engineer type role that actually sits in the analytics org to help with this. But that's not just not feasible for every company out there. It's not something that every company can do, nor is it something that every company should do. So making making engineer, data engineers out of everybody who needs to use that data by making it easy to do use is, is critical. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally agree.
0: All right. Um, I think that was a really good first foray into our podcast and talking a little bit about data engineering and what we're seeing. Anything else that comes to mind with all of that that you want to chat about?
1: I agree. I think it was a really good introductory overview. I can't wait to see which of these threads we get to pull on. Uh, I know with a uh, with our future guests because there's a, a whole lot there to to really start to unpack. So I'm super excited uh, yeah. to see that start to play out
0: yeah there's a whole host of things and as as we go through more and more, we'll find more and more threads to pull. and we obviously want to hear from. Listeners about what is interesting to them as well. So you know, I will say it here. You'll hear me say it in every episode. Like, reach out. Let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know if there's a topic that's of interest. Um, you know, let us know if there's something that you want us to dive in and on a little bit further. Because I guarantee we have you know somebody in our sphere or happy to be introduced to people who can help us discuss that. Also, always happy to talk to people who maybe don't share the same opinion that we do. And, you know, it's always good to to have some some healthy Discussion going on like that. So, really want to be able to
1: hear from the listeners on it.
0: Well, Sean, thanks for your time today. Much appreciated.
1: My pleasure. This is a lot of fun.
0: Uh, I agree. And I hope I'm glad you found it fun
1: because you will be doing this quite a bit. <laughs> I cannot wait.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. There you have it, folks. And hopefully this gave you a good intro into the types of conversations that we'll be having on this new Data Aware podcast. And as I mentioned, we wanna hear from you. We have a great lineup of guests for the show that come from all different walks of data engineering, but we wanna know what topics you're interested in hearing about or if there's someone you think we should have as a guest. And as always, if you wanna learn more about Ascend and how we help data teams build and automate pipelines with less code, Well, you can visit us at ascend.io. Welcome to the new era of data engineering.